0: You're listening to the Locked In Podcast. Here's your host, Algernon Cash.
1: I'm Algernon Cash, and you're locked in. We've got a really special episode for you today. Got a special guest joining us. Um, We are celebrating Valentine's Day, and I've got to stop for just a moment and make sure you know Um, Got to see my East Carolina sweatshirt. I went and spent the weekend with my daughter. Um, She's down at ECU. And this was my Valentine's Day gift. And so I definitely wanted to wear it for the show today. Um, And as we enter the political season, there's someone else that wants to feel the love from North Carolina voters. And that is Governor Pat McCrory um, here in recent months has declared that he is an official candidate uh, for the United States Senate. So he is in it to win it, as they would say. Um, Governor McCurry, you may not remember the last time you and I talked, you were actually interviewing me on your radio show. Um, so I have to start. My first question is, why did you want to get back in politics? Uh, while I was standing on the sidelines
0: for the last four years doing a very successful radio show, we'd gotten to number one in morning Charlotte. Not just talk radio, but all radio. While I was standing on the sidelines, the first thing that made me uh, get back in was when we started paying people more to work, I'm sorry, more not to work than to work. Uh, There's no excuse for it. And that's the exact opposite of what I did in 2013 when I became governor at a time when we had the fourth highest unemployment rate in the country. A lot of employers said, I got jobs, but no one will take them because the unemployment compensation is one of the highest in the country in North Carolina. So I lowered the unemployment compensation to the outrage of many of the far left uh, to what Tennessee, South Carolina, and Virginia were paying. And three months later, we had the largest drop in unemployment in the United States of America. And, you know, of course, I had a lot of uh, protesters against me. Reverend Barbara and the liberal left and the Soros groups came to Moral Mondays. And that's where it all started is when I reduced unemployment. But I paid off a $2.2 billion debt doing that to the federal government. And as a result, uh, things change. And the current governor is not in debt because of those tough decisions we made in uh, 2013. But when um, both Republicans and Democrats agreed that we'd start paying people 30, 35, $40,000 a year not to work, and we had all these jobs, I went, that's it. I can't stand on the sidelines any longer because I've done this. I've done this. And we need more people who've actually accomplished things than
1: people who just talk about things. You you know, Governor, I I have been one um, who has argued that a lot of the benefits that we've been experiencing here in the state of North Carolina was, you know, grounded or founded um, when you were in the governor's mansion. And I, I do think that you made a lot of good decisions when it came to economic development, transportation, so many things that it just feels like we're enjoying today because of the choices that you made back then. I mean, even this large um, Toyota um, battery ma- manufacturing plant that's coming to the east side of Greensboro, I think has a lot to do with tough choices that were made during your administration. Actually, uh, listen- Sharon,
0: Decker, my, Sharon Decker, my commerce area secretary at the time started that whole process and working with great people like Jim Melvin, the former mayor of Greensboro, who's a good friend, and continues to be a good friend. I mean, he's a role model and a mentor for me. Sharon and him and many others in the Greensboro area, I mean, that's been a long-term play for Greensboro, and I'm glad my administration helped uh, kickstart uh, that effort. So that, and you know, we also got bonds, education bonds. Uh, North Carolina T University, which I know very well, the edu- the engineering building there was a disaster. It was an embarrassment, and I made sure we got university bonds, and it was only going to be directed toward buildings, uh, engineering, and medicine and science because that's where the labor shortages were. And, uh, and it was an embarrassment, Western Carolina, UNC Charlotte, North Carolina, but, T, but you, you, even you, the UNC you know, medical I, school.
1: I listened to your show and you, you know, you you've obviously been very critical of, of governor Cooper. And I think some of us was curious, why, why not? Why not another run for, for governor? Why, why specifically us Senate? Why did you choose that race?
0: Well, I considered running for real, I mean, again, for governor in, uh, Uh, 2020. And I know Dan Forrest was getting his campaign going, and I just felt like it was too soon. And I'd done the job. I had accomplished 80% of what I wanted to accomplish as governor. I mean, I think my administration, I say my team, not me, my team were change agents. We cared more about the next generation than the next election. We reformed the whole tax system. We reformed the whole transportation system, got some of the corruption out of it. We reformed um, the university bond system, where, in other words, instead of building new stadiums and student centers and make our universities like camps, no, let's spend it on lab equipment. Let's spend it on engineering and get people long-term viable jobs. Uh, Same thing with the community college system. I'm I'm very proud of what we did. And, um, And I think I'd rather be a governor or a mayor than anything. Because you're actually leading and doing things. But in the Senate right now, we don't have enough people who've actually done things. We have a lot of people, including my opponents, my two primary opponents, the only thing they've done is Washington. That's the only thing they know is Washington. They didn't even run for city council or county commission or school board. And frankly, Washington's not the solution. It is the problem, as Ronald Reagan used to say. And I'm under, I know the roles where a lot of The federal government is taking over the responsibilities of what the city of Greensboro or the county of Guilford or the state of North Carolina should be doing, not Washington, D.C. And I understand that. And
1: um, I'll tell you another reason reason I
0: ran. I was sick of the public safety problems throughout our country. And, um, you know, as a mayor of Charlotte, we had a very, very high crime rate in 1995 when I became mayor as a young 39 year old kid. We are, you know, 125 to 135 people were being killed every year in Charlotte. Well, I took aggressive action. I targeted the top 100 criminals in Charlotte. I did the Pareto principle. You know, let's, let's, let's supply, let's quit rearresting the same people over and over again, who are causing havoc in our neighborhoods, primarily African-American neighborhoods. The neighborhood leaders were going, get rid of these criminals in our neighborhood. And I did. And our crime rate just went down and the murder rate went to less than 40 a year. Now, sadly, we're doing the exact same things we did in the '90s. We're just letting the criminal element again take over many of our neighborhoods. And I'm saddened by it. So I'm going to bring you, that experience to Washington, D.C., which, frankly, I don't think my major two opponents can
1: do. You, you brought up your, your two opponents, and, I, and again, I agree with you. I think you did accomplish a whole lot you know during your four years here in North Carolina and, and, and really set us on the right path. Um, within the party, and I'm, I'm a Republican, and you know, I talk to a lot of Republican donors and um, consultants and you know, various components and people within the party, um, there is a looming question whether or not that you might be able to win the base over for a primary. Um, former President Trump endorsed your opponent um, what what What's your strategy to convince the base in the party to actually give you the nod? Because I've actually
0: accomplished something. I'm more conservative than my two opponents. I mean, I cannot think of anything that Ted Budd has accomplished in six years. In fact, he voted against the wall. He voted against the immigration bill that Donald Trump wanted. He voted against the farm bill that Donald Trump signed. I don't know of one thing Ted Budd has accomplished, except he can raise money through a super PAC. And they've spent eight to nine million dollars against me already through ridiculous negative ads. I mean, they're kind of embarrassing, including today, a Valentine's ad, which is trying to, you know, they have a picture of me hugging Biden (laughs) and shaking hands with Obama, which I did shake hands with Obama when he was president. And I was in the Oval Office. You shake hands with the president. There has been a president I haven't shaken hands with uh, since Ronald Reagan. I shook hands with him and and, uh, Jimmy Carter. I've shaken hands with him and I've shaken hands with uh, both the Bushes, Clinton. And I hugged uh, when he was vice president, uh, our current president. And it was it was a hug of embarrassment because he came behind me. And during the middle of a speech, he was kind of crazy. And he all of a sudden in the middle of a speech, he yelled at me, and he went, "Hey man, you haven't smiled one damn time during my speech." And then he came behind me and started rubbing my shoulders. And I'm—it's like 500 people in the audience, and so I'm at the head table. This—the vice president of the United States—is rubbing my shoulder. So I got up and hugged him just to get him off me. And that's the picture now that the—that's
1: um, being circulated. Yeah, that's being, it's, its its just a sad commentary on what I, I was uh, reading. I was reading about some of the ads that have come out from club for growth. And, um, you know, I've I've been on record stating that I do think there's a big division within the party right now, and maybe even a little bit of a war, um, to to figure out what the identity of the party is going to look like as we move forward. And I think this race that you're in is actually going to tell us a lot about what the future of the party is going to look like, not only in 2022, but also in 2024. Um, when the primary happens, if you're successful, if you do get the nod from the party, um, the next thing you have to be able to do is unify the party ahead of November. Uh, what's your strategy to do that to make sure you can take out Sherry Beasley?
0: Well, we're running against uh, the policies of Biden, Harris, Schumer and Pelosi. And there's no way Beasley can defend those policies. She's, the Democrats are going to have a heck of a dilemma, including Beasley. Um, and who's going to determine the election is the independent vote. There are more registered independents than there are Republicans and Democrats in North Carolina now. That's why we are a purple state. And um, there's no doubt, I think, my independence in the primary gives me a more powerful stance in the general election to get that independent vote. And I don't think there's as much a division in the Republican primary as we think. It may be a division about the personality of our past president who I supported his policies, but I don't think there's a lot of division about the policies of the hmm. Trump administration. There's only one policy I strongly disagree with Trump, and that's when that we started paying people more not to work than to work. I think yes. that was a major mistake. At the I, very I, I, end of the administration, he spent a lot of money that I think was wasted money. But that that was it. His foreign policy, his immigration policy, his tax policy was dead on. So When we get to the general election, I think the debate's going to be about policy more than personality, if we plan to win this. The Democrats want to make it about a personality. That's why they keep bringing it up. And uh,
1: I I, I, I like what you're saying, Governor, and I I, I really, you you just zeroed in on something that I want my audience to make sure they catch, because I I 100% agree with you. I don't think that there's a lot of division about the policies. I've never thought about it that way until you said it. Um, but it is just a lot of personality differences and and what people are gravitating towards regard to personality. I, I think that's a really great observation. I, I want to get at least a couple more questions before I got to lose you. I know you're a busy guy. You, you got a lot of, a lot of important you, people to talk you, to. I'll um, help you any way um, you can. It, it, you know, um, you, you talk about the money that's in politics. You talk about the tech ads that you you've already experienced. I was actually reading about some today as I was preparing for this conversation. Um, Sherry Beasley has outraised raised um, Republicans two to one. I, I, I think she's, she may be raising as much as the whole Republican field is combined. I've heard that you, you know this race could give a, upwards of $400 million um, just, just because of the historical nature and the potential opportunity to, to elect an African-American to the Senate. So we, you, you know the left is going to come out very strong. How, how do we get to a point where, where we start making decisions in this country not particularly based on who has the most money, but who has the, the greatest and best ideas. It, it feels like money has completely hijacked our entire political system. It has on both sides of the aisle. And in fact, we're
0: having a debate in two weeks. And four candidates were invited, and yet nine or ten people are running for the U.S. Senate. And in fact, a, a, a guy named Ken Harper, who I'd never met before out of High Point, an African-American male is running. I met him. In Monroe the other day, and I was wow, this guy's pretty impressive. I don't think I wish he would have jumped right up to the Senate. We have too many people who want to jump right to the Senate. Uh, same thing with an another young military person who's running. She uh, she's good, and she's going to be in the debate only because she got someone to give her uh, her super PAC a million dollars. Hmm. That shouldn't be the qualification to get in the debate on how much money you can raise at the very outset. But the political pundits and the media measure you by how much money you raise. And frankly, Ted Budd, I don't think he'd even be in the race if it weren't for uh, a pro-China anti-farmer super PAC called the Club for Growth out of Washington, D.C. I mean, they are running his campaign outside of his campaign, and it's all negative toward me. And it's, it is a sad commentary and Beasley is source money is going to be unbelievable with Beasley. You're, you're dead, right. So Beasley sitting on the sidelines, they've cleared the field. While we have this internal fight um, with a Washington interest group trying to buy the campaign. Actually, he's trying to, they're trying to buy the campaign for Bud at a pretty cheap price for the primary. So it's going to be system. interesting to see if we're, I think our voters are smarter than that. I. Don't, this seat should not be for sale. The Senate seat, in North Carolina, should not be for sale, especially from an outside Washington group trying to buy it for uh, Mr. Bud.
1: You know, I, I read a report over the weekend. Um, senator McConnell has declared that he's stepping out to support candidates that are not endorsed by president trump. have you Have you heard from Senator McConnell at all? I have well, I've met with
0: Senator McConnell, and I have a good relationship with senator McConnell. and and by the way, I agree with Senator McConnell's statement last week, which, Maybe it would irritate, quote, the base, but I disagree because I don't know of any Republican who agrees with violence against police officers and the destruction of property. If they are, I don't. They're not my Republican Party. And I spoke very strongly against the violence in Portland and Seattle and Chicago and Charlotte, my own city, where I had to call the National Guard in 2016 against Antifa. I did not hesitate because they were destroying property and they were attacking our police. That's inexcusable. And I always said, Republicans don't do that. Democrats do that. Well, sadly, Republicans did do that. And it's inexcusable and we got to call it out. And I'm not going to hold back from that. If you attack a police officer or try to destroy property, whether it be government property or a restaurant window, you're not, you're not, you're not following the Constitution. The Constitution says peaceful assembly, peaceful assembly. It's brilliant. Our founders were brilliant, weren't they? Who, yeah. Who came up with the word peaceful assembly? Yeah. That to me is very important. Um, well, and I, I grew I, up I,
1: about I, that. Martin I Luther King us, was
0: peaceful assembly.
1: Yeah, I, I think all of us could could rightfully say what we saw on January six was, um, you know, c- certainly unwarranted and disgusting, and um you know, the entire thing. And and I I certainly agree with your com- comments. And, and by the way, um,
0: I'm glad they're being arrested, but I also think the rioters in Charlotte and exactly. Portland in Seattle, they're not. The Democrats are being hypocrites with that. Exactly. Nancy Pelosi's a hypocrite when it comes to calling out Antifa. They're they're anarchists. They're all anarchists. I'm
1: I'm pretty much out of time, but I I got one last question for you. You alluded to this a moment ago when you were talking. There are some really, really big issues facing us here in this country right now. Um, You know, the, the, the Democrats have not been able to get any real substantive legislation passed since taking over the House, the Senate, and the White House, it is a really good shot that Republicans might get back all three um, by 2024, but certainly maybe even the House and the Senate in 2022 is what we're hearing now. There are big issues out on the horizon, um, inflation related to energy, housing, food, I, I mean, you name it, prices are going up. I work in the restaurant business. I'm a, I'm a partner in several restaurants. Um, we've, we've raised our prices probably upwards of 20% and, and still climbing. Um, you, If you win this election, you're going to have some big obstacles to try to battle once you get to Washington. What are your biggest priorities if you get there?
0: Uh, I think the biggest reason for inflation is the energy policy of Joe Biden. It's disastrous. The reason we've had low inflation for the last 25 years is because we started becoming independent. I, I credit both Bush and, and Trump on that and Reagan, where we started Drilling for natural gas, we started using our own oil, we aren't dependent on Russia or Saudi Arabia, which we often went to war with because of that, Nigeria, Venezuela, our energy policy is a disaster, and it's going to bankrupt the middle class and starve the poor. So I, I firmly believe your restaurant prices, the main instigator of the prices going up started with energy, and then the second one was labor when we gave away all the free money. And why go work for a retail outlet or a restaurant when I can stay at home? So energy and labor, uh, which has got to do with government spending. And Nancy Pelosi said on the Sunday talk shows, her, her goal is to spend more to help inflation. And you're an economist. I've read some of your stuff. You know the economy pretty well. That's the worst thing you do is throw money, more money into the economy from the government, free money from China. And uh, that's the type of input I'm going to give as the next U.S. senator
1: from North Carolina, hopefully. Well, when you look at the conflict emerging between Russia and Ukraine, I do think that what what makes us not only strong as a country, but a strong ally is is making sure that we are energy um, independent. Uh, We've got to be an energy leader. I totally agree with you. And we've got to figure out a way to get these prices down, because I, I like to remind folks that, Um, You you know, when energy prices shoot up at the pump, um, when when the the price of electricity goes up, a lot of times it is disadvantaged minority families who are paying a higher discretionary piece of their income to try to keep it all going. And and so it it becomes very imperative that we do something about it. I also want to encourage my audience as I get ready to wrap up. There's a new report that came out um, over the weekend talking about Hillary Clinton and her attorney's. Um spying on the Trump campaign um, pri- prior to 2016 while he was a candidate. And then it continued even further um, w- within his executive office once he was elected. I was on record saying that the president could be telling the truth about this. Many of you thought I wasn't. So I would encourage you to go read that report that came out. I agree. The, the I, I agree. Report. And, and it, it better notice the mainstream media is ignoring it. But I know,
0: listen, Hillary Clinton got involved in North Carolina's campaign when I ran for reelection, working directly with Roy Cooper is now our governor and Andrew Cuomo. They led, they led the boycott of North Carolina and then blamed us for people, you know, ACC tournament or NBA being canceled. No, it was coordinated through the democratic party of Hillary Clinton's campaign. And there's clear advice, even in WikiLeaks where they celebrated the ACC tournament being canceled out of Greensboro, they initiated it. And, um, that was around the same time, too, by the way, that they were probably spying on Trump. Um, they've got some smart people around. Elias, they're, uh, the guy who um, challenges all the election districts in all the state, including right here in North Carolina. Listen, they've got some smart people out there. And that's why our election is delayed. And we as Republicans better start getting election law lawyers. I'm a big
1: Giuliani fan, but he's not an election law lawyer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We, we got,
1: got to have the right people on the case. <laughs> that, that, that's for sure. But again, I encourage people to read that report. The Durham report Absolutely. that just came out. I would also encourage I you to I think Dunn, learn. is it Dunn? Is that his name, Dunn? I thought it was Durham, but- I, Durham, I'm sorry, Durham. Yeah. Durham. yeah, I thought it was I, Durham, okay. But uh, yeah, then Durham. I would also encourage, encourage my audience, go learn more about Pat McCrory, former Governor Pat McCrory. You can go check out his website, learn more about his platform. He is asking for your vote. Um, if you're a Republican, certainly you'll have a chance. to. You'll see him on the ballot in May. If we do have a primary in Maine, it doesn't get pushed back further. And he's hoping that he gets past the primary and that you'll have an opportunity to see him in the general. So I encourage you to go. We need to get everyone
0: out to vote. 30. It takes 30 percent. We're doing well in polls right now, despite all the negative ads. If the negative ads were correct, I wouldn't mind them. But the negative ads are deceitful. And that's not the Republican Party. So um, I'm looking forward to it. And I congratulate you on your podcast.
1: Uh, It's good seeing you again. Thank you. It's good to see you. It's good to be on this side, um, asking questions instead of receiving them. So it's it's really good, and I hope, hope that we can um, obviously get you back on. You know, regardless of what may happen, and maybe we feel uh, for you to come back in. You call
0: call me anytime, and uh, you know, I grew up in Greensboro, I went to Ragsdale High School. That's where
1: I learned my values, and uh, it's an area very close to my heart. Well, Governor, we appreciate that. To my audience, uh, make sure you always stay tuned to WTOB. That's where locked-in broadcasts every Sunday morning, also on WCOG. Um, You can also check out the podcast. That's available on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, wherever you like to get your favorite podcast, you can lock in with me. And then make sure you are locked in with us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next time, y'all stay locked in.
0: The executive producer of the Locked In Podcast is Algernon Cash for WCG. The associate producer is Tim Beeman for Such and Such Media. The views and opinions in this podcast are solely those of the contributors and are not necessarily those of our distributors or hosting company. This podcast is copyrighted and cannot be reproduced without express written consent of WGC.